It's, it's, it's great to be with you here this morning. Do you, you like our little flame thingy here? <clears throat> I got 20 of those that if I can figure out how to, it took me about seven or eight minutes to pull that one apart. Uh, if I can figure out how to shorten the time, we're going to hang those all throughout the auditorium. Because we really do believe that fall, that destiny is going to be fire. It's going to be fire. So before I get started on what's on my heart, I want to encourage you. Um, there, are, there are several ways to give. We want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Um, we're excited about what is right in front of us as a church. And, and as we round the corner to 2022, we're excited about the big steps that we're about to take. Um, we're meeting at the end of the service today with our small groups, our small group leaders, and uh, we're going to begin to roll out to them what the Lord's put on our hearts to do is in regards to small groups and discipleship coming uh, with really some brand new structure. And uh, we're going to reorient everything toward the prize. We believe that the prize is being a disciple of Jesus. There's no greater fulfillment in life than the following him. I love my wife and I'm happily married. But even she knows there's no comparison to being a follower of Jesus. The adventures are vast and varied as we follow him. So we're going to reorient things at Destiny around the prize, and you'll hear more and more of this as we, as we round the corner into 2022. We shared some of this a couple weeks ago at our family meeting. But here's the thing. Um, I want to encourage you to be faithful in your giving. <clears throat> we're, we're not... We're not hurting. We've got enough money to pay the lights and the bills, and that's not, that's not the point. The point is that there are things that are right in front of us that we're called to do. And we want to challenge you to, let, to, to, to step up and let's build this thing together. You know, when, you, when you're content at, at a house and a home, and, or maybe it's an apartment, and you're, you've got enough cash flow to handle where you're at, but the Lord's given you a vision to build a house. How many of you know it takes more money than what you have flowing at the moment in your apartment system? That whole system of finances that supported your ecosystem where it was is not enough to support where he's called you to. And we're excited about where he's called us to. And we know that just like Israel, when he sent them into the promised land, they came back. They, they came back, two of them, carrying a pole of, with a bunch of grapes. Now, if you could just imagine the kind of grapes we get, a bunch of grapes at Kroger across the street here, you don't need a pole to carry them. But those grapes, the kind of blessing that's coming our way when we say yes to Jesus, I'm telling you, the land is flowing with milk and honey. And the fruit is big. So we want to go there, and I want to encourage you to partner with us. And if you have not been a tither at Destiny, let me encourage you to consider 
Matter of fact, I'm just going to be bold and strong. Why not now? Take a step. God's going to be faithful to you, and he's going to make his promises fulfilled in your life. This isn't a give to get thing. But Jesus talked a lot about money. And I, I just, I want to encourage you that you are part of this. And so step up to the plate. If, may, if you've never been a tither, maybe now's a great time for you to start. Not maybe, it is a great time for you to start. Um, and another big, one of those big agenda items is that uh, we're, we're wanting to bring Pastor Jeff on in a, uh, in a capacity where we're paying him for hours. There is more to do than what Don or I can do. Uh, there's, there's so much more administrative things that are in our hands right now to do, to get ready for. Uh, I, I, I'll share again with the small groups, it, it's kind of interesting how much time it takes to actually have a vision and, and carry it correctly. These are, these are things that no one else sees, and it's okay. But uh, it's time that we move in this direction with Pastor Jeff, and it's going to take another, another <clears throat> a plateau or another level, if you will, for us to be able to, to fund that. So I want to challenge you and encourage you. That's on the horizon as well. If you'd like to give into that, so into that, please feel free to do that. Um, and the last thing about money is this. And you all know, those of you who are on the live stream, you, you may not be as familiar, maybe you're not uh, a regular at Destiny, but you know we don't talk about money here hardly at all. But I, I felt really strongly the Lord. There, there's some of you that the Lord's challenging to give something beyond what you've ever given before. And this is not the funding of the next level and whatever. That has nothing to do with it. This has to do with you and your life. There's some of you that the Lord is challenging because there's a breakthrough that he wants to bring to you. Again, we're, we're, we're out of the give to get mentality. That's not, the, that's not what we're talking about. But there is an obedience that God's looking for. See, obedience is better than the sacrifice even of your worship. The more I seek you, he loves it. But you know what he loves more? You obeying him. Because when you obey him, something happens. It allows God to do something through you and in you in a greater way and a greater measure. So I just felt of the Lord to challenge you this morning. You know, if you've been around here, you know, I don't know that I've ever done this. I want to challenge you to lean in and listen and just be obedient to what the Lord's asking you in a financial way. It may not even be to the church. I, that's, so this isn't self-serving. Just, I'm just encouraging you. I know the Lord's bringing some of you to a place where the breakthrough that you have wanted is coming, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be as a match to your obedience. Don, did you set that thing up we were talking about last night with someone here? Oh, okay. Yeah, they are. Here's, an, here's I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw out the challenge with our act of obedience. We're sowing a few hundred dollars into somebody this morning. They don't even know it. Has nothing to do with the church. It's not about building some new ministry or a wing in our new facility that's the Jeffrey Wenick wing. I think Drew did such a good job. I think we need to get him one of those jewel-encrusted gold microphones that he could, you know, I, that's, I think we may, maybe need to do that for Drew. 
But this is what I, I this, this is real to me. This is what he's challenging us to do. As a matter of fact, I didn't even put those two things together until I'm standing here right now. The Lord has been moving on us. Yesterday, we had this conversation, and we're going to sow hundreds of dollars into one of you that are here today. Because we believe that God's on the move and doing something, and what he's looking for is our obedience so that it unlocks the pathway. I love what the prophet said. God said to the prophet, make straight the way of the Lord. Two different passages. One talks about the highway of holiness, and the other talks about the highway of glory. Make straight the pathway of God, and it's our obedience that is the paver, if you will, that paves that route for God to, to run the trucks of heaven full of his goodness right up into our house. So let me challenge you. You might say, well, I don't know. I don't really have enough for myself. Good. Become that widow with a son who's going to die unless God multiplies your oil. See, if we're never, we never follow God and allow him sometimes to walk us right into those situations, or the enemy, when the enemy comes, if we don't allow God to walk into those situations, we'll never see the miracles. We dream about them. Oh, sorry. I was going to scratch right under that microphone and I missed so you, you understand what I'm saying. Let me challenge you. Maybe this is a season where the Lord's putting something on your heart to sow a seed that's not normal for you. Roar. You know what I got a picture of? I got a picture of an acorn like this. Roar. I want to sow an acorn this big because guess what kind of size of oak tree that's going to grow. Roar. All right. I'm done with my challenge. I'm going to sit this morning, at least a little bit. You know me, I'll probably not sit very long, but I'm going to sit at least to start. I want to talk to you, uh, before, let's just do this little exercise, because I know you, know, you, 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 you all like exercise, right? Just, uh, just point to your temple right up in here. Right there. Say, something's got to change. I want to talk to you about the joy of changing your mind. <laughs> yeah, there he is. He's the master of ceremonies. I love you, man. You did such a good job. That's his first time doing the service lead uh, this morning. We just, just, I'm so grateful to have him part of the team. I want to talk to you about the joy of changing your mind. So as I've gotten older... I've changed my mind about a few things. You know, like mayonnaise. <laughs> Growing up, my mom will tell you that uh, I, I wouldn't touch mayonnaise. I mean, that, that was like, you gotta, salad dressing is the bomb, but mayonnaise, man. You can't even embalm. I wouldn't even embalm the rat that died under my chicken coop with mayonnaise. But then I married Dawn, and, and, and point to that temple again. What, what did we say? Something's got to change. Now, there's really nothing more spiritual about mayonnaise than there is salad dressing. But when you marry into a family 
that prefers mayonnaise over salad dressing, something's got to change. <laughs> and it may have taken a few years, about 20. But you know what? I, I don't even look for salad dressing. In fact, I don't even think we have salad dressing in our refrigerator anymore. I love me some mayonnaise. You know, something's got to change. Uh, you know, like jammy pants. Anybody know what jammy pants are? Those are those things that as guys, as, as a guy with a, you know, that kind of guy, you, you don't even know how to say the word jammy pants. In fact, when the word jammy comes up, you like, you're, you're completely shut down. Like, like, I don't even know what that is. What, are you, what in the word are you talking about? Get away from me. But you know, the older I've gotten, I've kind of changed my mind about jammy pants. She's laughing. She's like, okay, I just need to move on here. Um, and, and since we're on the subject of clothes, I mean, let me just, I'm just going to throw it out here. I know we got some folks that actually like Costco and maybe have worked at Costco or been around Costco. Listen, we were in, we were in uh, Michigan for the Jesus Gen Conference, and uh, we went up a day early. Uh, and within an 18-hour period, we had gone to their Costco, Costco three times. And the pastor of that church, Lester, um, you know, he found out he loves Costco as well. And I just said to him, hey, listen, I, I just, uh, I, have, I have finally found the, the, a Costco support group that I want to invite you to. <laughs> it's a 12-step program. And by the end of it, you will only spend $50 every time you go to Costco instead of that $100 bill. But here's the thing. You know, I, I, as I've gotten older, I've changed my mind about Costco clothes. Again, Dawn's just like, she's going to love this. Uh, the jeans that I have on are Costco jeans. The t-shirt I have on, uh, 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 yeah, you guessed it, is Costco. It's, it's that like, thank you. Thank you, thank you. The, 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 sh the, I could go on. Yesterday, we went, and Dawn, she's like, she's, she'll, she is so gracious to me. Yesterday, we went to Costco. I had to get something. Oh, I've got, hey, do you like my new glasses? I got some new shades up here. And guess where I got those? Costco. So we're at Costco getting new glasses. And that's all. And they were in, so I had got my glasses. And, you know, that's all we were going to do. And she went away somewhere else, and I forgot my phone. So all that meant that I had to wander around the store for a half hour waiting for Dawn to come back. So you know what I had in my buggy before she got back? I had another pair of shoes. Listen, Costco shoes, if you have not figured out, let me just help you. I probably have five pair of Costco shoes and I haven't paid any more than $14.95 for each of them. She's laughing. She, she knows. Listen, my son texted me a picture because he didn't know that I, last week, last Saturday, had ordered new glasses. But he texted me a picture because he was standing in Costco with the glasses of Costco's counter behind him, showing me his new frames, wanting to know whether I thought they looked good in them or not. And I looked at him and I went, oh my gosh, I think those are the exact same frames I just ordered at Costco. <laughs> And he texted, he texted, I texted it to him. He said, oh my gosh, please tell me those are not the same frames you got. I am not wearing the same frames that my dad just bought at Costco. <laughs> Found me a nice, you know, I, I was, I've changed my mind about Costco clothes. Listen, when you can get a pair of jeans for seven bucks, these are seven bucks, people. Let me just show you again. 
like my Costco jeans. Something's got to change. And I've also changed my mind about slip-on shoes. <laughs> I mean, before, when I was in my 40s, any self-respecting man would never wear slip-on shoes. Not out of the house. I mean, certainly you got your slippers, but slip-on shoes? Are you kidding me? But I found these sketcher things. You just slip them things right in. They feel like you don't. I mean, you got, you got slippers for out hiking. I mean, it's amazing. Something's got to change. See, our perspective dictates our experience. That's what we're going to get at this morning. But my question to you as we begin is, what have you changed your mind about? Now that you've reached the ripe old age of... What have you changed your mind about? I've shared some of my story, but, you know, you grow up in your house, the things are... Man, this is... this. You get married and you're marrying into another family. What, what have you changed your mind about? And we're just talking about mundane things right now. I used to only get vanilla hand-dipped ice cream when we went to Baskin-Robbins. Yeah, he's like, shoot me now. He's like, I don't know. What are you kidding me? Vanilla ice cream? What are you doing? But... but yeah. But Dawn would check out going, something's got to change, something's got to change. Now, let me just tell you this. I'll tell you this last story, and I'm, we're gonna, I promise you we'll get into the spiritual part of this. So we began to date, Dawn and I, when we were 15 years old. So you probably have all heard the story. She came and, and asked me out on our first date. Listen, I was as good looking then as I am now. So I, I can't, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm just telling you. No, she didn't want to be the fifth wheel. She, we go on this date. We're, go, we're bowling, and which, you know, I'm not all that great at bowling, so I had to have a plan B to get a second date, so I stole her mittens. You know, you've probably all heard that story. So I, did, I got my second date. We were part of the signal group, and we were building a relationship, and I knew two months after that first date, I knew I was going to marry her. The Lord had already told me. She wasn't as prophetic as me back then, so it took her a few more months, I mean, a couple years longer than me to figure that out. But in the summer, we went, I guess it was the next year because we were 16, I had my driver's license, and the first place that I took her is I went to a little town south of Washington, Pennsylvania called Waynesburg. Waynesburg is this little podunk college town, it's a coal mining area, but they had this amazing little ice cream shop. And it, it, I think actually it was on the back, of, back side of a feed store. That's how, like, amazingly, this was a really ritzy place. But it's the first time I could drive, so I took her about 20, 25 minutes away. And, I, I mean, as a kid, I'm thinking ice cream. And again, I'm, I'm like a vanilla guy, right? Something's got to change. So we go out, and she's like, now, this is, you all love her. You know her, right? right? She's like, she's fun. She loves adventure. So... You know, 
she couldn't help but drag me along on an adventure. I'm getting ice cream. And listen, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And I didn't, I wish I could have found Costco jeans for seven bucks then. But, you know, I couldn't. And, you know, I had, basically we had a little bit of a poverty mentality going on, right? So I had to fight that for many years. So here I am. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just like, well, this is awesome. I'm taking my babe out on a date, going to get her some ice cream. We go through the line. And I'm getting me some vanilla ice cream. Woo, baby. She comes behind me and says, get, get whatever you want. She orders pumpkin ice cream. And I, the poverty, listen, something's got to change. The poverty mentality inside of me, that poverty perspective determines your experience. That poverty mentality Literally, I know you're going to say, oh, Tim, what in the world? Why would you say that? Because something had to change, and it hadn't yet. I said, if you don't like it, I'm not eating it. So we get in the car. I pay with my hard-earned money for this pumpkin ice cream. Get in the car, and you know, as good as she is, she, she offers me a little lick of her pumpkin ice cream. That day, something changed. <laughs> it's so true. I found out there were more flavors in life than just vanilla. Something's got to change. There are things that we were intended by God to be enjoying right now that maybe we're not enjoying at all or maybe we've just scratched the surface of because our perspectives won't allow us to go there. Our mindsets, the way we think about life or a relationship or job or fill in the blank. Perspective determines our experience. Something's got to change. So today I want to talk to you about the joy of changing your mind. Now listen, someone said this. I'm going to give you a couple quotes just to kind of set this up. Someone said this. Middle age is when your broad mind and narrow waist begin to change places. That person's dead now because they said that to their wife in middle age. George Bernard Shaw said, progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything else. Our world, if, if, just like outside these doors, our world is desperate for change. We have a government that cannot function. And when it does function, it messes it up even more. And that's not me being mean. I'm just like, come on, $3 trillion after we just spent seven last year? Who's paying for that? Your kids? My kids don't have it. Something's got to change. And the world is desperate for change. And we, inside these walls, we do our worship and we hear our word and we get all pumped up like, yeah, we're going to go out and be world changers. I love this quote by George Bernard Shaw. Those who cannot change their own minds will not ever be able to change anything else. All change starts right here. It, something's got to change. 
If we want to change and see God change America, see God change our culture, if we want to see God change the lives of our family members, if we want to see God change that thing that causes us to, like a car with a flat spot on the wheel, we just keep going and then thud. And we're back in that sin that so easily besets us. Something's got to change. Listen to what Norman Vincent Peale, you know who I'm talking about? Norman Vincent Peale. He said, change your thoughts and you will change your world. The great coach John Wooden said, surround yourself with people strong enough to change your mind. I love this quote. Great coach. A lot of wisdom in this. We need to be surrounding ourselves with people who are strong enough to challenge how we think so that our mind changes. Ugh. You ought to come to breakfast with Jim and I. Right? Come on. We just go at it. Like, oh. yeah, but what do you, and this scripture's, well, but I, I remember that. How do you fix that? We're not like at war. We value being around someone strong so that we're challenged in our perspective. And it leads us to righteous change, change toward righteousness. Albert Einstein says, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Lastly, Marcus Aurelius, one of the one of the great emperors of the Roman Empire. The happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. Therefore, guard accordingly and take care that you entertain no notions unsuitable to virtue and reasonable nature. The, value, the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. It's changing our mind is a big deal. It's actually the key to life. And here's the reason. We've all been out of our minds, out of our right minds, since Adam did the dirty deed. That's why you and I, we, we have to be committed to changing our minds. Living with a, an embracing of the idea that something's got to change. Sadly, most of us, because of Adam's twist, because of the carnal nature that, he, that we inherited from him and, and the fall, sadly, what has happened is that our posture has gotten more set, and that posture is anti-change. We like things the way they always have been. And if we could just keep them the same, even if they're not all perfect, even if there's some hiccups and even if there's problems in my life, but if I could just like keep my world from changing, I, I'm, I'm good. I think I could survive until the end. That posture and that perspective will cause you to lose everything that Jesus paid for. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. But Jesus came to give you life, and that more abundantly. And the only source of life, he said later on, is to know the Father. <laughs> 
And knowing the Father always challenges the way we think. Because he's, his thoughts, I'm just quoting a lot of scripture. We're not using a proof text. I'm not just going to hang this out and we're going to read three verses and everything's about that. I'm going to quote a lot of scripture this morning. They're, they're, uh, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. So anytime we have an encounter with God, we will find ourselves in the smallness of our minds, not even negatively. I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about being human. The finiteness of our human mind is this box, and God is all of this out here. We can't even approach God without under, having this box of our finite thoughts challenged. That's one of the reasons I love to be in his presence. It's an adventure. I never know what he's going to show me new. Something. I'm always learning something. Because something's got to change. But if I don't, if I don't have an embracing of that ideal, that I'm living in this relationship with God, and I know that he has his, his, his best interest at heart for me, and I can trust him. If I'm not living in that way, I will not submit myself to this continual change process right here in this gray matter. And I'll resist change just for the sake of survival. I, I want to challenge you and I want to challenge all of us. I want to challenge destiny today. I want us to give up our survival mode and exchange it for destiny. I'm not talking about the name of our church. I'm talking about his highest ideal for your life. What would it look like? See, we're, we're, some of us, at least, we're good at dreaming about what God's dream. We're good at dreaming about what we'd like to accomplish. We're good at thinking about, wow, if I could do anything, and boy, if I could have the wildest dream come true, we're like, whoa, this is great. The only thing stopping you from getting there is right here. And if you want that, God is not a man that he should lie. I'm going to quote a lot of scripture. He's not a man that he should lie. When he put that dream inside of you, he meant it. And the only thing between you and that dream is right here. You know, there's nothing the enemy, the devil, can do to keep you from inheriting that dream. The only thing that, keep, that keeps you and I from inheriting that dream is right here. And that's why he, this is the battlefield. That's why he, go, he works overtime here to fortify his own structures to keep us solid and straight in survival mode. That's yeah. so all we want to do is just survive. Don't make it hard on me now. And that whole change of my mind thing, that's really hard. Yeah, you know, it's really hard to let go of Miracle Whip and grab a hold of mayonnaise. I mean, Hellman's. You know, it's like Miracle Whip or Hellman's. I don't know. It's really hard. Wow. Something's got to change. We've all been out of our minds since the fall. We have twisted perceptions, twisted thoughts, and twisted values. It was so bad, so quick with humanity that in Genesis chapter 6, God said that he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart are only on evil continually. We're talking five chapters. Five chapters in. That's how deep and hard this slide of twist in our thinking came. Proverbs 16.25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends, its end is the way of death. I mean, think about this. 
If we just settled in to our survival mode, the enemy dupes us into thinking that we'll just survive, at least we'll survive, but that's not true. Because the way that seems right to us, the end is always not life, but death. So he sells us this false hope. If he would just be content and fight for nothing changing, we'd at least end up with what, we, what little we have. Jesus said, if a man tries to save his life, he'll lose it. But if a man's willing to give his life up, something's got to change. If a man's willing to lay his life down, then he'll gain it. Matthew 13, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, Jesus said, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and not understand, seeing you will see and you will not perceive. 2 Corinthians 3. Remember the veil? Pre-Christ? Remember the veil that's over all of our lives? It keeps us from seeing. The purpose of that veil is to keep us in that fortress that the enemy has built in our minds that settles for survival. But dear ones, I want to I lay out before you the joy of changing your mind. It's not a drudgery. It's not something to be feared. It's not something to be shunned. Or stressed about. It's the adventure of your lifetime. The joy we get to change our minds. This is why repentance is such a big theme in the Bible. Now, granted, the idea of repentance has also been so twisted that for most of us, what we think of when we hear the word repentance or repent is coming to an altar and shedding tears and being totally distraught over something we did wrong. We have that idea because, and it's, we get it honestly, because that's, that's what we were taught. That's what evangelical sets up in fr- evangelicalism sets up in front of us as the definition for what real repentance looks like. And by the way, if you don't learn how to repent and repent and repent and repent, i.e., come to the altar over and over and over again and sob and weep for what's wrong with you, then, then God will never accept you. But dear ones, I want to say to you that that is an inaccurate definition of repentance. Repentance is far more than just being sorry that we got caught for doing something that we really wanted to do anyway, but found out it's on the naughty list. So I'm sorry, Lord. Most of the sorry is for the fear of punishment. And that sorrow will do nothing for you. We'll talk about repentance and, and, and we'll give you, expand, explore that in a moment. But Ezekiel 18.30 says, repent. This is a, repentance is an Old Testament and New Testament theme. And I would say to you that repentance didn't change from Old Testament to New Testament. Repentance in God's mind has not changed. In fact, God is not a man that he should lie, and he's not a son of man that he should repent. 
God's not changed his mind about what repentance is. So the Old Testament repentance is not different from the New Testament repentance. We get all this squirrely idea that somehow God dealt with man differently in the Old Testament, and so it's only law, and boy, they had to live up to it, and God was like, you didn't live up to it, so I'm gonna, gonna make sure you understand how bad you are. And then we get to Jesus in the New Testament, and somehow God has schizophrenically changed, and now it's just love and love and love and mercy and grace. If you have that biblical worldview, you need to shatter it because it's all wrong. The truth is, there was never, ever any difference in how God related to man in the old covenant. It was always by faith. That's why in the new covenant, we who are under the blood of Jesus are called the sons of who? Abraham. We're We're not called the sons of Jesus. We're called the sons of Abraham. See, we don't realize how our perspective has been molded by so many wrong definitions, so many wrong perceptions, and it matters, dear ones, it matters. Because if, if we don't understand re, the, what's real and, and, and line our perspective up with his, we will miss out on experiencing all that he has for us. So I want us to think about the joy of changing our mind. Turn to your neighbor Point to that little thing in your, that temple thing and say, something's got to give. Something's got to change. Matthew 3, 1, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you know, Jesus picked that same line up in Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It starts with repentance. You want to live with God? You got to get good at Changing your mind. If we are to know God and enjoy life, we need to get really good at changing our minds. (laughs) It's, it's, It's how we get born again. That's why, you know, I... I love Ryan. I'm so grateful that the Lord brought him. I love the Jesus Jen and the, the we've, we've been praying. We, we're looking, leaning in for outreach. But here's the challenge of my heart. Getting somebody to pray a prayer on the street doesn't make them saved. Doesn't even make them born again. Last I checked, it's the change of mind. Repent and the kingdom comes. Salvation is, what does Romans 10, 9, and 10 say? With the heart, man believes, and then mouth confesses. If there's no belief and there's a prayer prayed, I'm sorry. That doesn't lead to life. If we're not careful, we will grab the perspective of a world that is all action-based, outward-based, and, and that perspective allowed Israel to take the law and twist something and say, well, the law said if you sleep with another man's wife, you've committed adultery. Jesus said, wait, wait, you've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you something different. I'm going to tell you how it actually is. The reality is if you think it in your heart, you've already done it. What he's saying is what's happening on the inside is where all the action is. So when we get saved and born again, it's because something had to change. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When I hear the word, something changes in the inside of me. My perspective changes. Now I know God actually loves me. Now I understand he actually died for me. And faith comes to my heart and I get born again. 
Repentance is change. Acts 2.38, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. Instead of being the boisterous one and getting it all wrong, he got it all right. Who knew? See, something had to change. Maybe you're a Peter, but you relate to Peter, and, and half the time you step out, it turns out bad instead of good. The only thing you're missing is something's got to change. Because something changed in Peter from that night he betrayed him. 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and he says, from that, he stands up and says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance is what brings salvation to us. You don't get born again without something changing. Ongoing growth and fulfillment is only possible through that same repentance. In other words, the way we get in is the way we not stay in, but we enjoy what we got into. See, people are worried about staying in. This is, I, I, so we, 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 I was taught this. I don't know how many times I got saved. Prayed and prayed and prayed. Come to the altar. Two months later, I'm coming to the altar. Oh, God, please forgive me. I mean, we're rededicating my life to Jesus. Because we have these wrong mentalities. We're, we have this perspective that keeps us into survival. And it's all about what I did and what I didn't do. <laughs> what about, what if it's what he did? And what if repentance is my changing my mind to actually believe what he th thinks? And what he values. Do you realize that five out of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, you know those seven lampstands that Jesus walks around? Five out of the seven were told to repent. Jeez. <laughs> when he comes, will, will I, like it's the thief and a knife, will I go with him? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not what we're talking about. Five of the seven churches, actually four of them were directly told, four, three of them were directly told to repent. The other two had repentance in the midst of the message to them. In other words, they had to change their mind about something. Second Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I fear, Paul said, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Boy, that's like a father saying... When I get there, that room better be cleaned up. Or you're not going to find the daddy that you like to have around. That's what Paul's saying. Lest there be contentious, he said, lest there be contentious, tensions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whispering, conceit, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for those who have sinned before and have not repented for uncleanness, fornication, lewdness which they have practiced. He's talking to the church. Does that happen in your church? Mm -hmm. Backbitings and whisperings and selfish ambitions and jealousies. Outbursts. Listen to Ephesians 4, 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
See, repentance doesn't stop at salvation. Repentance is a way of life for a disciple of Jesus. Because something's got to change. All right. How do we get there? I can define it. You, you, you all have heard about repentance before. You know, you've heard of the Greek word metanoia. means to change your mind. You know, we won't spend any time there. I, I, just to say this. You know, in Hebrew, there are two basic words for repentance. The first one uh, is used 1,066 times. The second one is only uh, used something like 26 times. You know what definition we have grabbed, gravitated toward? The one that's only used 26 times. And it means to be sorry for what something you've done. But the Hebrew word that's used overwhelmingly for repentance and the con- to describe what repentance is in the Old Testament is the word shub, and it means to return or turn back. In other words, turn away from to turn back to. It's a changing of mind. Oh, I think, honey, I think today I'm heading out. I've got a couple of errands to run. I think I'm going to go to Target. And of course, Costco. And I get to Target, and I had two phone calls, and I got to go take care of something. So I called Dawn and said, oh, honey, I know I told you I was going to Costco, but I changed my mind. And I turned back because I got a, my agenda's changed. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind because new information, new data, new revelation has come to me. It's about, and here, how do we, so how, do we, how are we led into repentance? Two things. We are led into repentance by the goodness of God and through godly sorrow. Let me just touch these. Romans 2.4, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? Your sin does not lead you to repentance. Knowing that what you just did was wrong will not lead you to change your mind. It's not repentance. Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel, the kingdom of God, saying the, king, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's, what's the word gospel mean? There is no repentance unless you are latching, tying, strapping yourself, parachuting yourself into the goodness of God. No repentance outside of that. Your sin and groveling over what you just did will never change your mind, and therefore it will never change your action, because as a man thinks in his heart, what's in your mind will be what you become tomorrow. Okay. So it's the goodness of God that leads us into repentance, and, and, and faith... That's what saving faith is. We hear the gospel, the good news, and faith in our heart grips that good news. And that's where repentance happens. That's where something's got to give change. And now, out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth speaks and I say, yes, Lord, you're so good to me. I have just repented in real time without crying. I'm not saying crying is wrong because the second thing that leads us to repentance is godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. Now I rejoice, Paul said, not that you are, were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. See there, I knew. I knew it. I knew it, Pastor Jim. That was, that was what I was thought was right. It's, it's when I'm sorry. That's what real, I got to go to the altar and cry and like grovel before God. No, that's not 
what Paul is talking about. He said, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorrow, sorry in a godly manner. There's a difference. That you might suffer loss from us in nothing, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. If you come to God sorry for what you've done, it will only reproduce the death process in you tomorrow. But see number one, if you start with the goodness of God and understand that he's been so good to you that he, he, before the foundation of the world, took care of everything you would ever do wrong in his son, Jesus. If you start with the goodness of God and the gospel wrecks your heart, dear ones, faith arises and now when you approach God, you have done something you know doesn't, doesn't look like him. That's godly sorrow. Why? Because you're honoring the goodness of God. You see the difference? Amen. I'm not honoring what I did wrong. Oh, God, see this thing I did wrong. I know you can't see it, so let me describe it for you. Over and over and over again. As if somehow the 40th time I'm crying about that will change his mind about me. Or have any hope of changing me so I don't ever have to apologize for that thing again. See, that's how we get in these sins that so easily beset us. We don't understand how change happens. Something has got to change. As a man thinks, so is he. We don't change our actions by inserting other actions. That's called discipline. Oh, dear ones. Nothing wrong with discipline, but discipline is not transformation. Discipline is not godly change. Discipline is us adding other actions, trying to hem ourselves in, keeping us from doing the actions we don't want to do until what's inside of us actually gets changed because something in my brain has actually added up to what God thinks. And when that happens, I am changed on the inside because as a man thinks, so is he. When I think what God thinks about me, the, the sin that so easily beset me for 20 years no longer besets me. I don't even have to try to change myself. I'm just agreeing with what God's thinking. Amen. This is how real transformation happens. So we get to repentance, changing our mind through chasing after the goodness of God. It's all around us. And when we catch the goodness of God, that goodness of God will lead us to a godly sorrow. Not groveling because we just failed. But that failure in the face of his goodness makes our hearts sad. And so we go back to his goodness and say, thank you, Lord, that you've been so good to me. And that actually isn't me. And now when I've separated me from the thing I did, me won't do the thing I did. If me is the thing I did, then me will keep producing the thing I did. But if I can separate me because he has saved me by grace and he's been good to me to bring, him in, bring me into his family, into the beloved and save me and wash me by the blood of his son. If that's who I am by the goodness of God, my faith is in that. When I, when I fail, I am no longer identified even in my own heart by that. I don't deny that I did it. That's where the sorrow comes from. But it's godly sorrow because I'm all the while gripped by the goodness of God. And it's the goodness of God that will lead me to changing my mind about me 
And now my perspective will create a new experience. I'm helping somebody. So, you see, fear causes us to discipline ourselves to avoid punishment. But it leaves all the skeletons in our closet. Let me say it again. Fear causes us to discipline ourselves to avoid punishment. The problem with discipline is that your skeletons are still in your closet. You see, if I was hooked on pornography 10 years ago, and my wife caught me, and this isn't a true story, although, you know, fill in the blank for you. For mine, it was 30 years ago. If, if your wife catches you with, with pornography, and because you, 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 you're devastated that your wife has found out this sin inside of you, you're afraid to disappoint your wife. And so you do what you normally do. Well, you're disciplined. You put covenant eyes on your computer. And, and listen, I'm not against covenant eyes. Discipline's great when we haven't been changed yet. We ought to discipline ourselves, but it's proof that we actually haven't been changed. Because we have to discipline ourselves. Listen, I know what it's like to live with skeletons in my closet for 30 years, having disciplined myself and not engaging in pornography. But always having that thing in my closet, wondering when it would, when it would flood out and trip me up again. I knew it wasn't, it was still part of me. Is this real enough for y'all? Yeah. Can you all talk about family stuff here? You fill in whatever your thing is. And that wasn't this thing. I'm, I'm just using an example. I, matter of fact, I picked it because it's one of those giants in our land today. Yeah. We are still submitting to giants. <laughs> we were called and to sent, we were sent into the promised land to kill the giants. Yeah. This is the destiny ground. <laughs> We're going to cut the head off that giant. Listen, the good news is you don't have to live with pornography in your closet. Even if you've disciplined it out so you're not looking at it anymore. That's not transformation. Transformation is when there's nothing in your closet anymore. I can invite people over and there's nothing I'm fearing that might slip out of my closet. You can actually look through my browser history. Because I've been changed. Something had to change so that I could be changed. And that's repentance. So what's the joy of changing your mind? Four things, we're done. The first joy of changing your mind is that you get to experience more of the goodness of God. You see, as much as this saving grace of salvation... Causes, brings us face to face with the goodness of God through his son Jesus. Enough so that we can, by faith, through grace, become saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That saving grace is amazing. That faith is what anchors us. But it's in the goodness of God, even in that passage 2, 1 through 8, we find out that, that, that God's plan is to to display us openly like his trophies through eternity. It's the goodness of God. Brings us to salvation. If our lives 
our outward man. See, our inward man, Paul said, outwardly, I die daily. But inwardly, I'm full of life. He said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. All things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Has that verse ever brought you into condemnation? It shouldn't. But we misunderstand. Because we read what Jesus said. Listen, if it, you can tell a tree by its fruit. If a tree has good fruit, it's a good tree. If a tree has a bad fruit, it's a bad fruit tree. And it's going to be cut down and thrown away. And we'll go, ah! Because we all know that there's still some like bad plop things coming out of our limbs. When's the last time you told a little fib? Well, I guess you're a bad tree then. You bad tree, you. But see, I jest, but if, we, if, if we're new creatures in Christ and old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. If I've still got old things plopping off of me, then I must not be new. I wonder how much of a new creature I really am. That's, that's the root of condemnation right there. Here's the thing. The first joy of changing your mind is that you get to actually experience and enjoy the fullness of God's goodness to you. Because what happens when we get saved and we have enough of glimpse of his goodness and enough of a little bit of a change of mind so that we're oriented toward God and we embrace him, whoo, this is great. But when we have a discrepancy in our lives because our outward man is not living up to our inward man, and if we haven't processed that well, by the way, that's changing our mind. It will condemn us, and in that state, we will not allow ourselves to enjoy the goodness of God. So the joy of changing your mind is that you actually get to not only have the ticket for King's Island, but you get to go ride the rides. Because repentance gives me the ability to outwardly have true what's already inwardly true about me and there's no discrepancy my heart's clean before the lord not just internally but my heart's clean because my life's clean dear ones this sloppy grace is not grace at all yes grace is amazing and and he took care of all those things and he covers all those things love covers a multitude of sins but love is powerful and it will push you through those things that are deficient in you and cause those outward things to line up with the inward thing. And all of that, ta- all that takes is right here. Something's just, just something. It's got to change. So the first joy is that we, ex- we get to actually experience the goodness of God in our lives. The second thing is we experience the life of God through the joy of changing our mind. Jesus said, well, let me, I'll skip that one. Acts eleven eighteen. They glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. How are you, how are you gonna actually experience God's life? I, I'm not talking about some quasi supernatural, spiritual, internalized, ethereal, no, I'm talking about where you live, tomorrow morning you get up, you put shoes on, you're brushing your teeth, 
You're going out the door because you got an appointment or you're, you're heading to work. Your day's planned. It's, I mean, you know, by the time you get home, you make dinner, you got some errands to run after work. I mean, you got laundry to do. You know, it's, the day's over. You're going to start tomorrow. How are you going to enjoy the life of God? I mean, living his life. Something's got to change. Repentance leads us to the life of God. Isaiah, last scripture I'm going to give you, Isaiah 26.3. You all recognize this verse. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him, on you. The third joy of changing our minds is that we get to experience the peace of God. (laughs) The turmoil that you and I live in is self-inflicted. Every last second of it. Doesn't matter what you're going through. I came to worship practice. Listen, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not one of these guys that's looking for a demon behind every little thing. But listen, when out of the last 10 worship practices, nine out of the 10, something goes drastically wrong with the sound system or with the iPad or with the tablets. And 45 minutes later, you still haven't started your practice. That was our experience on Thursday night. And, and, and all those that were part of the team, you, you saw me. I got frustrated. I'm back in the back like, what in the world? Except I wasn't that happy about it. See, every last moment we live in frustration, it's self-inflicted. Something's got to change. There was no need for me to be frustrated. The enemy can do whatever. He can pull all the stops out. It doesn't matter. Because he will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him. What is that? That's the evidence and the result of repentance. It's when we've changed our mind to equal his mind, stayed on him, he will keep us in perfect peace. doesn't matter what comes. even through worship practice. We can experience the peace of God. And that peace, the perfect peace, is broken out into two words in English, but that, those two words in English are the Hebrew word shalom. And we're not just talking about like the absence of frustration. No, no. This kind of peace is all, if I can say it this way, this is not a defensive peace. It's an offensive peace. Because the kind of peace that we get when we change our minds, the joy of changing our mind is that the peace of God rushes into our lives and begins to take over. It's offensive. It, it comes and drives us into prosperity. I mean, everything we do, everything we put our hands to begins to prosper. Not because I'm doing things right, but because I've changed my mind and my perspective has changed. Now my experience is changing. <laughs> Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the 
days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the verse before that says, he'll prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. The enemy can come bring, he can bring all out war to me and I can still just sup with Jesus and have me some, boy, this is, you knew exactly what I like, God. This is awesome. Doesn't matter what he does because God will keep us in perfect peace if we change the way we think. It's repentance. The last thing, sorry, is we get to actually experience the fruit of righteousness. And I touched on this, so just to, just to close this up. When we get saved, we've, we, we are gifted with the gift of righteousness. Titus says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to your mercy, you've saved us. By the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's not by our own works of righteousness we got saved, right? So by grace and through faith, we've latched onto the goodness of God. And in that moment, <laughs> Romans is so amazing. Romans 5, I think it's, what is it, 21 or 17 says, he's given us the gift of righteousness so that we can reign in life. How are you going to reign in life? Oh, that's right. You need to discover the joy of changing your mind. See, we've been given at salvation a gift of righteousness, and that's positioned us to be accepted by God. Because guess what? I, my account is not full of righteousness. What is righteousness? Doing the right thing. Righteousness is having a right record, a record of right. So I got my record. It's right, 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 right. Yep, Tim, he's checking it, making a list, checking it twice. Yep, yep, right, 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 right. No, that's not, that's not my list. That's, that's not my list. But you know, when Jesus lived this life, that's why the gospel's more than the cross. The gospel's more than a resurrection. The gospel includes the life of Jesus that he lives sinless for me and for you. So now, at the point of salvation, I get his righteous record. God the Father goes down through every action and every attitude Jesus ever did. Right, 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 right. Here's mine. Right, 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 wrong, 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 wrong. Right, wrong, 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 right, wrong. Guess what happens when I get saved? And now when God looks at me, I have the righteous record of Jesus. Right, 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 right. That's the gift of righteousness. That's why you and I are fully accepted the moment we believe in the goodness of God toward us. Yeah, that, that right there, that's a selah. But that whole discrepancy thing we talked about a few moments ago, that'll steal the joy of the righteous gift from you. When you find it hard to overcome something that you desperately don't want to be tied to anymore, like alcohol, like envy, insecurity, fear. See, the righteous gift never changed. 
changes. It's, it's still my gift. It's his, his record over me. But here's what happens. When I learn the joy of changing my mind, now what happens? I am now not just righteous on the inside by his list. He is now living through me. The life I li- now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And now he's living through me. And now those sins that so easily beset me before, no, 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 they don't even trip me up anymore. What actually happens is that my outward life starts taking on the full righteousness of my inward state. And now my own actions don't condemn me anymore. They don't approve me before God. That's not what I'm saying. But they don't condemn my conscience anymore. And when that happens, I can actually enjoy righteousness. So dear ones, I want to challenge you and encourage you. Latch on to the joy of changing your mind. If you haven't discovered how amazing mayonnaise is, let me introduce you to Hellman's. And in case you might need to go shopping for jeans today, I'm going to give you a five, six-letter word. Starts with a C, ends with an O, has an O-S-T-C in the middle. You need to find yourself a Costco. It's the joy of metanoia. Same root as metamorphosis. It's the joy of shub, of turning and coming back to the Father whose thoughts are perfect toward you. Even when you make a mistake, he doesn't look at you and go, can't believe that Sandy, after all I've done for her. Never crossed his mind. Oh, see Sandy, she's so beautiful. Yeah, she's going to get it. She'll make it. Thank you, Jesus, for taking care of that for Sandy. She's my girl. Thank you. That's what Father says. Even when we make a mistake, it's the joy of changing our minds. So I'm going to invite you and walk you through two things. The obvious question is what do you need to change your mind about today? Two questions to help you, and this, this is, the first is this. What outwardly is going on in your life that you just can't seem to get a handle on? Call it sin. Call it a weakness. You can call it whatever you want. But I, I, I would strongly suggest you take this moment seriously. He does. And he did. It's why Jesus bled out for you. He bled out not just for a positional salvation 
and righteousness. He bled out so you could actually experience the joy of changing your mind. This side of eternity. So what do you need to change your mind about? Regards to something that's outward in your life. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's greed, always wanting more. Or jealousy because somebody else has more. Whatever it is. Would you name that before the Lord right now? Scripture says that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Dear ones, I want to set a joy in front of you today. Even right across the table from that outward thing you've just set on God's table, even side by side, I want to set a joy before you. You no longer have to have that as your experience ever again. You can change. You are not stuck. There is no prison that the anointing that was on Jesus can't break. Has already broken. He's come to set captives free. It's already a done deal. So the joy set before you is Something's got to change. So ask Father this. This is in your, just between you and the Lord. Just ask Father this. Lord, would you show me what I'm thinking that keeps creating that in my life? Yeah. For some, this might be a prolonged process, and I encourage you to take the time to process well with the Lord. It may not be finished this morning. That's totally fine. But ask him, what, what thoughts am I thinking that need to change so that my experience with this thing is never the same again? This is a divine exchange, so the second thought, question to the Lord is, if that's a thought that I need to get rid of, what's the thought that you think about me that I need to start thinking in its place? <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. I'm just telling you, get ready. Something's got to change, and it's about to I decree over you, you will never be the same. Today is your day. This is your moment. God is separating you from where you have been and what has come out of your life and your perspective before. God is shifting things right now for you. You will never be the same again. God, what do you think?
about me. <laughs> and simply repent, dear ones. It's take that old thought that he reveals as the, as the, it's the seed that keeps reproducing that old thing in you. Take that thought, take it to the edge of your mind and see yourself in a wheelbarrow just tossing it off the edge. It's no longer yours. God, I just, we just come out of agreement with those old ways of thinking, the old thoughts we thought. We disengage, we disavow, we come out of agreement with those thoughts, Lord. And in its place, we embrace, fully embrace your thought, God. And we are going to think your thought. And every thought that, that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, we're going we're to take it captive. That's our worthy warfare. We're going to take it captive. And by the way, we're, we're not even relying on ourselves to do that. We got supernatural weapons that can do that. But we are going to be diligent, Lord. We're going to take every thought that it salts the thoughts that you just gave us. We're going to take every thought against those thoughts. We're going to take them captive. And we're going to not allow them to live inside of our brain. I thank you, God, for the shift in the exchange that's happening right now all over this room and all over those who are praying this prayer. Thank you, God, for delivering us from those sins that so, have so easily beset us. Thank you that you're turning the snare onto the fowler, the one who set the snare for us to ensnare us and to strip, strip us up. They, they, those things, those spirits are themselves going to be caught. But we will be free. The last question is that, you know, our lives are not just outward. Those, that's the low-hanging fruit in our lives. What's wrong that we once fixed? What do we do that we no longer want to do? What do we want to do that we should do that we can't make ourselves do? That Romans 7 dilemma. That, 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 oh, those outward things are, are obvious and low-hanging fruit. But here's the, here's the inward question. Lord, what are my thoughts and attitudes about you that need to change? How have I misjudged you, Lord? Where, Lord, have I not believed you? Whatever is outside of or without faith is sin. Show us, Lord. And this is where we just, we're going to leave this and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to walk before the Lord this week committed to finding the joy of changing your mind. 
But Lord, right here as we finish, we're honest and we're seriously asking you, Lord, to reveal to us those inward places where we have made judgments against you or we've thought thoughts that are so far less than who you actually are. Open our eyes, Lord. You said seeing they saw, but they didn't understand. Hearing they heard, but they could not perceive. God, I thank you that in Christ, we have been made new creatures. And in Christ, there's no longer a veil over our faces. But we are being drawn by the goodness of God into this constant joy of changing our mind, taking us from glory to glory. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So with this heart posture, Lord, of surrender, of what Paul labeled as walking circumspectly, with this posture, Lord, in humility and submission, we set ourselves on a joyful journey to change our minds so that we can live out of your goodness and fully experience and express your righteousness. So that when we pray your prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a hopeful prayer. It's a faith-filled prayer. Because we believe that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living in our lives. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we hear it for Papa Tim, guys, Pastor Tim? What a message. Whoa. It's in knowing the truth that the truth sets us free. And I thought of this verse just uh, as we left. It, and it's uh, found here in... Um, how amazing... Let me get another one. We're going to go... Th- we're going to go three... How numerous and precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the very grains of sand on all the seashore. For when I awake, I am still with you. Wherever you go today, whoever you're with, I pray that you know that God has given you his spirit inside you so that you could be awakened to the reality of this truth that he is with you. That he's in you. That he's for you, not against you. And that he did everything necessary so that by grace, the availability of who he is in you and me, 
through faith of the Son of God, that we can be transformed by the very renewing of our minds, casting aside thoughts that do not belong to us and taking on the mind and the thoughts of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but the greatest treasure of my life is being a beloved son in Jesus with the Father. And the thing that attacks my life is the very opposite of that reality. It's orphan thinking. It's an orphan mindset. It's the, the attack on if you are a beloved son of God. And I'm just so grateful that our father is such a big dad. He comes in and he takes down those strongholds and those lies and he casts them aside. And even if the enemy tried to convince us, Father, I'm a servant in your house, he says, no, put the ring on his finger, the robe on his back, and sandals upon his feet. For behold, my beloved son was lost and is now found, was dead, but now he's alive. I pray that you know that the reality of who you are, it's found in his thoughts his words, in his life, in and over you. God bless you guys. Sweet time today. One more time for Jesus and Pastor Tim. Close on the good note. We just commission you to walk in the love of the Father as beloved sons and daughters and reveal him wherever you go. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you're...